Amen. All right. So just, just before we start, I would like to ask, so last week we weren't able to have um, Bible study because um, of technical difficulties. I mean, mainly because of the network. Um, so what I did was I recorded the video and I uploaded it on YouTube. And by the way, we now have a YouTube channel. All right. So yeah, I recorded it on YouTube, recorded, uploaded it on YouTube, and then sent the link to us. So I just want to know how many of us got the chance to listen to the message um, for last week, to the Bible study for last week. If you did, you can just give me like, you know, raise your hands up or give a thumbs up or something. If you were able to attend, if you're able to follow the Bible study for last week on YouTube, even if you didn't finish the whole video, that's fine. But um, just let me know if you're able to, if you were able to watch the video. Um, anyone? Okay, okay. Ariel Benza says she listened, but she didn't finish the whole video. Okay. Anybody else? Anyone else got the chance to listen to either everything or a part of it? Okay, no one else. Okay. So what that would mean is we need to send the link again. All right, so I'm going to send the link again to the group chat um, um, to us. So if I, let me just assign someone. Cecil, please do me a favor. Um, the link, just repost the link, the link from the WhatsApp, post it right here in the message so that everyone can have access to it. All right, so I'm just going to do a very quick overview of what we looked at um, last week. And I'll do this in, say, 10 to 15 minutes before we go into what we have for today. All right? So I'm going to do a quick overview of what we looked at last week, and then um, we'll go into today's business, right? Just because I know many of us might not have um, watched the video yet. So I, you'll still go back to watch the video, but let me do a quick overview. All right. So last week, we looked at spiritual growth. Um, that was the topic we're exploring, um, I, I mean, all through this month, most likely. But we looked at spiritual growth, and we started off by, by seeing why it is important for believers to grow spiritually all right and how that it's it's god's idea it's god's expectation <clears throat> for us to grow and um, we said the same way a parent expects a child to grow i mean as cute as a baby is right um if the baby remains a baby for longer than it's due the parents become begin to get worried with all the cuteness of a baby with all the you know all oh, 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 we see if the baby remains a baby longer than a period the check the parents get worried okay and um, that's the same thing with us spiritually as well. If we remain children longer than is expected, um, God is concerned and God expects us to grow. So we looked at Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 to 2, where Paul said that uh, Paul was explaining um, a particular concept and he gave this analogy that a heir, that's the rightful inheritance to the throne, as long as he's a child, he's no different from his servant, meaning that it is maturity that really gives him tangible, practical, practical access. To, um, to what is already his. So he's, it is his already. No one is taking it away from him, all right? Um, he's the rightful, rightful, um, rightful in, I mean, he has rightful inheritance to the throne, but as long as he's immature, he cannot access what is already his own. So we saw that maturity is very important to us handling the things that God has already prepared for us. We read a scripture that is not on the slides, and that's um, Psalm chapter 2, 
right? And we saw when he said that, ask of me and I'll give the nations to you and the, the, um, the, the heathen as, a, as an inheritance. And that we explained that that's a very awesome promise to claim in our lives. But, but God didn't make that promise to just any kind of person. When we read the preceding verse, right, we see that God made that promise to someone who is a matured son. And of course, that, that, the context of that is, is a messianic prophecy, right? But in application to our life, it shows us a principle that it takes maturity to handle certain promises that God has already made available. So God is not going to make the promise. He has already made the promise, but it takes maturity for us to enter into the manifestation of those promises, all right? And then um, we looked at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 to 14, where it talks about strong needs being, um, being for those who have exercised themselves to descend between good, both good and evil. Okay, so we looked at... Um, yeah, we looked at what spiritual maturity. No, we, I asked the question, right? What is spiritual maturity and how to identify it? How do you measure spiritual maturity? And then I went on to answer, to give my own, you know, definition of spiritual maturity, which I, I said here that spiritual maturity is the measure of the extent to which our lives conform to and represent Christ. So the measure of the extent to which our lives conform to and represent Christ. That is spiritual maturity. All right. And there are a couple of references there. Galatians 4.19, Colossians, there are a lot of them. So please watch the video. I'm just doing a quick recap. Um, last week, specifically, we drilled down to two types of Christians, right? And we got that from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4, when Paul talked about, um, about the, the church at Corinth and he said, are you guys not carnal? If you have separation amongst you, some people say, I belong to Paul. Some people say, I belong to um, Apollos. And there was just division. And Paul said, for Christ is not divided, that you guys are actually carnal, all right? And um, so that shows us that it's possible for a Christian, even though he's a Christian, to be a carnal Christian, right? And then we also know that a Christian can be spiritual, right? So for the, for the purpose of um, etymology, right, for definition's sake, we group them largely into into carnal Christians and spiritual Christians. And we see that in verse, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, when Paul said, I could not speak to you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. So there are people that he could relate to as being spiritual, um, then there are people he could re relate to as being carnal. And he said that he even had to give them, he had to give them milk, right? Um, because there were still carnal Christians, meaning there was a lot more that he could share with them, but their maturity couldn't handle the depth of revelation or communication that he was going to bring. So he had to water it down and give them milk. I mean, from what we understand um, as, as human beings, the natural cycle of life is that you give babies milk because that's what their digestive system can handle for that moment. So you give them milk, right? It's not as if that's, what, that's all the mother can cook. The mother can cook, you know, jello fries, can cook, shawarma, can cook, pizza, can cook. Um, if you are from my side, can cook pandediam and the best of the soups. But the mother wouldn't give that to the baby. So it's not, it was, it's not a limitation on the mother's ability. Rather, it's based on the baby's capacity to digest. So that's what Paul was saying, that I couldn't speak to you. I couldn't give you solid stuff because you are not yet ready to digest um, such. All right? So we looked at um, um, things. We brought out some things from that scripture. And I'll just read them quickly. I won't be able to explain all of them, but I'll just read them quickly. And we said here that the carnal Christian is a baby in Christ, right? Um, spiritually immature. And that's what I just explained. We also see that carnality 
in that in First Corinthians chapter three, where we <clears throat> where we read, carnality was expressed by three main things: by jealousy, comparison, and quarreling. We see that in verse three. So when you see Christians who are jealous, I mean, let's say someone someone is advancing in life, and then just a bit of jealousy that just begins to stir up, right? Um, that is carnality at play. It doesn't mean the person is not a Christian, but he's allowing jealousy um, to find expression in his heart, and that is carnality. And let me state here that these three things are not the only identifiers of a carnal Christian. There are still a lot more. In fact, by the time you read Galatians chapter 5, you see the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. You see more expressions of carnality, right, that are possible in the, in the life of a believer. Okay, but for, this, for the purpose of this verse, we only saw three things. Jealousy, comparison, right, when you see um, um, when when someone is operating, let's say, in a particular gift of the spirit, and then you begin to compare yourself to the person and say, um, oh, I operate in a higher dimension, or, or you even look down, it may be from a sense of, of quote unquote, humility, but that is, that is carnality, where you look at the other person as being more superior, or, or being superior rather, or more spiritual than you are, because the person is manifesting certain dimensions of God's gift and God's graces. So whether in whatever form that comparison comes in, right, it is carnality. That's why Paul in another place says, those who compare themselves with themselves are not wise, all right? And then we see that, we see quarreling. Okay, so the next thing we pointed out here is there is no difference between the behavior of a carnal Christian and an unbeliever. Let me take that again. There is no difference between the behavior of a carnal Christian and an unbeliever. So if you see, let's say in a in a in a workplace, right? If you see the carnal Christian behaving, you would almost you would almost rule him out to be a, to be an unbeliever because his actions and the actions of an unbeliever are no different. All right, and we see that in um, where we read again in, in verse three, right, of First Corinthians chapter three, where Paul said. You are you. Some say I belong to Paul. Some say I belong to Apollos. There's division among you that you are behaving like men. Men. That's what Paul was saying. What, what he meant by that was you are behaving like outsiders. You are behaving like unbelievers. Where we there is no difference in your character. There's no difference in your behavior between with that and with yours rather and that of the unbelievers. So carnality and and again, like I said in the in our study last week. We are bringing this up not for you to begin to look at someone and say, hey, that guy is a canal Christian or that lady is a canal Christian. No, this is for, first of all, for your own um, inspection. The Bible says if we judge ourselves, we will not be judged. All right. So for your own personal assessment, look at your life and ask yourself, am I being canal in this area of my life? Am I being um, being judgmental? Am I, being com- am I comparing myself with other people? All right, in this area of my life and, and whatnot. Okay, so this study is primarily for yourself, not not necessarily for you to to begin to identify others and point accusing fingers. Okay, so we said that. Then next we said that even though the the church of Corinth had a lot of spiritual manifestations, Paul still referred to them as being carnal. So if you read the book of Corinthians, right, First Corinthians especially, if you read chapter 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 twelve to chapter fourteen, you see that. The, that there was a lot of spiritual manifestation and Paul had to bring clarity to their experiences. However, Paul still referred to them as being carnal, even though there was a lot of spiritual man- manifestation. What this tells us is that it is possible for a believer to have spectacular manifestations, but yet be carnal in his lifestyle, okay? And so we, that brought us to the conclusion that we don't measure spiritual maturity 
by the demonstration of the gifts and the charisma of God, right? And for context, right, for, for a richer um, study on this particular um, topic, go to our Bible study on working in love, right? Where we looked at the comparison between charisma and character. We elaborated more on this. But I'll just touch on it briefly, that we don't measure spiritual maturity by the gifts and demonstrations of the Spirit. As important as they are, and like I said, again, let me put a disclaimer. We are not um, undermining the, the role of the gifts of the Spirit. We are not undermining the effect and the impact it has in our Christian work and in our evangelism on earth. What we are saying, however, is that we don't measure a believer's maturity by how much of the gifts he manifests or how much of the um, of the demonstration of the, of the spirit we see in his life. What we measure the maturity of a believer by is how much his life conforms to the image of Christ. Now, the, where the gifts and the and manifestations of the spirit come in handy is when you use them in an attempt to manifest Christ or to represent Christ, not in an attempt to glorify yourself, okay? So you use it as a as a means to reveal Christ and to show forth Christ. Then yes, they play a very significant role. But when you now, when you are, when you begin to, you know, demonstrate it to get attention for yourself, which is a very, very slippery path, right? When you begin to do that, then that is carnality, even though it is a manifestation of the spirit. Okay. So next, nice, we, okay, I, I pointed out is that um, just by way of definition, carnality is the inclination of the soul to gratify the desires and suggestions of the flesh. Let me take that again. Carnality is the inclination of the soul to gratify the desires and suggestions of the flesh. The flesh here means the old creature. And let me point again, just off the last point I made, that even if the action is in itself is good, but your motive is wrong, it will still be referred to as carnality. Meaning, for instance, um, it is good to give, all right? It's good to give to people, give to those in need, give to, I mean, giving is good. But when you begin to give so that the attention will be on you, then that is carnality. So carnality is the inclination of the soul to gratify the desires of the flesh. So you want people to, you want to be the center of, uh, of attraction. You want people's attention to be on you. So you, you use good actions, right? To get people's attention to be on you rather than for people's attention to be on Christ. So you can see someone giving and giving and while giving is good, the person is using the using his gifts and givings to get attention to himself. That is carnality. Um, healing the sick is awesome. The Bible teaches us to do that. All right. But when someone begins to heal the sick or to to you know demonstrate the spirit so that people's attention will be on him, then we see that that is a that is a problem. All right. And so that that is carnality. Uh, beg your pardon. And, um, and that's why the Bible says that let your shine before men. So in other words, your light shines before men, which is which is great. Meaning it is men. It says let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Okay, so it is not angels that are seeing your good works. It is not even God alone that is seeing your good works. <clears throat> it is men, uh, men that are seeing your good works. But he says that let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. He now says and glorify your father in heaven. So the glory eventually goes to God, not to you. Meaning that when men see your good works, your good works ought to direct them to Christ, all right? And that is re what real spiritual maturity is. That in the, through our excellence, through the expressions of the Spirit, we are able to lead people back to Christ. We are able to, 
to be the signposts to Christ and not to ourselves. And um, I, I, I think one of these days we're going to a, a, a more elaborate study on this again. But I, this is a very, very crucial part of our work with God. That as we work with God, the most natural consequence of working with God is that God begins to elevate you spiritually and it reflects even in our fiscal influence. And when that fiscal influence comes, there is a very great tendency for us to, to, to begin to take the attention to ourselves rather than to God. Okay. And um, it is just like, you, you know, I was reading the book of first, I was reading the book of Kings, right? Some months ago. And I was just amazed by the things I saw. So remember the story of, of the Israelites when they were in the wilderness and how God, um, the serpent, they're being beaten by serpents and God instructed Moses to erect a bronzing serpent, right? And whoever looks at the serpent will be healed. Fantastic. That worked for that, um, for that season, right? Everyone that looked at the serpent got healed. But when I went to the book of Kings, I now saw that the Israelites took that serpent and later on, after David had gone, David, Solomon and, and kings had gone, they began to worship that serpent. And what became, what was an instrument of healing and deliverance became an idol in their lives. And this is where, why we, we be, need to be careful as God increases us in our influence on earth, that it is possible for you to become an idol right, or to represent, to become an idol in the lives of people, right, instead of peop of taking people's attention to Christ. All right, so let's run quickly. Um, we looked at three differences between a carnal Christian and a spiritual Christian, and I'll just read this very quickly. We said, one, that a carnal Christian is led by the senses and emotions, okay, meaning our senses and emotions, you know, is what, is what leads a carnal Christian. But a spiritual Christian is led by the word of God, and by the Spirit of God. Secondly, we said that a carnal Christian prioritizes himself. So he's more about self-self. And, and you know, in that video, I gave a warning that a lot of what we hear on social media, a lot of what we see online, you know, that, that sounds really good as a cliche. We need to be careful about it, um, as, especially as Christians. So we hear things like, do what makes you happy. You know, um, it's all about you. Don't, don't mind people, just do, do you, do yourself. And that is that is the life of a carnal Christian. When we, we, we read James chapter 4, verse 1 to 3, all right? However, a spiritual Christian prioritizes Christ and the body of Christ, meaning that you are not just focused about on what is what, what satisfies you. You take into recognition the things that, that um, God wants, the things that Christ wants, and the things that are also important to the body of Christ, meaning that even if it is not a sin in quotes, but yet the Holy Spirit inside your heart doesn't permit you to engage in it, then you do not do it, all right? Also, even if it's not a sin in quotes, but what if you do it, it, it has the capacity to lead your brother, a fellow believer, or um, your brother or your sister into, into sin or to, to weaken their faith, then you do not do it. So a spiritual Christian prioritizes the opinion of Christ and the, body, and the health of the body of Christ um, in his actions. Lastly, I said here that a carnal Christian lives on his or, or her own terms while a spiritual Christian lives for Christ. And when we read Philippians, um, Colossians 6, verse 12, Philippians 3, 18 to 19, we explain that um, more. Sorry, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, yeah, uh, where Paul says, I will not, all things are permissible, but I will not be controlled by anything, you know, and all of that. But a spiritual Christian lives for Christ. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Um, and that, that verse seems to be the hallmark of a, of a Christian's life. That's the, 
That's the peak of a Christian's life where you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. It is such a, a powerful place. It is a realm of the spirit to, to operate from that place. And let me just keep in here that your highest expression of authority will come when you stop living for yourself and you start living for Christ. Now, I'm not saying this will be easy. It would, it would be a lot of sacrifice on your own part, but this is the height of, of, of Christianity, right? Where you no longer live for yourself, but you live for Christ. All right, praise God. So, so that's, um, that's what we did last week. And um, we'll go into today's study. And um, I honestly do not know that if we can complete it, but we will give it a shot, all right? So we're looking at spiritual growth today. Spiritual growth, all right? Um, so if you are with me, if you can hear me, you can see me clearly, just give me a thumbs up and we will continue. Um, give me a thumbs up or drop something in the chat and then we would proceed. So we are looking at spiritual growth today. I'm waiting for your responses. Thumbs up or a comment in the chat. Just let me know. Okay, great. Thumbs up from Mercy Peters. Thank you. Um, anyone else? I want to be sure we're all together. Could drop a comment in the chat or... Um, okay, good. So, Edidion, all right. I see that. Okay, so thank you. I, I believe we're all together. Okay, good. Cecil, thumbs up from you. All right. Thank you very much, everyone. So today we're looking at spiritual growth. And again, we're going to read... Sorry, we're looking at sorry, sorry, sorry. We're looking at spiritual exercise. I beg your pardon. Spiritual exercise, not spiritual growth. Spiritual exercise. Um, I mean, the overall theme of our study is spiritual growth, but more specific today, we're looking at spiritual exercise. First Timothy chapter four, verse seven to eight. Someone should please help us read that. First Timothy chapter four, verse seven to eight. If you're there, please go ahead. First, first Timothy chapter four, verse seven to eight. Anyone? Anyone there? Um, okay, let me read then. So it says, first Timothy chapter four, verse seven to eight. It says, but refuse profane and old wives fables and exercise thyself rather to godliness. So Paul was saying as an alternative, instead of being, instead of being you know, um, consumed by profane and old wise fables, you know, stories and, you know, when, when, we, when, when people share myths and, and, and things that, oh, if you do this, this will happen, all those funny stories. Paul says, ignore all of that. Don't occupy yourself with that. Rather, he says, exercise yourself to godliness. And before I read the next verse, I want to place emphasis on the word exercise. All right. It says, exercise yourself unto godliness, meaning it is possible for you to exercise yourself to godliness. The same way, for instance, um, someone wants to grow six packs or wants to lose belly fat or wants to grow, develop his um, muscles, right? Um, or whatever the case may be, it's possible for that person to exercise himself or herself. Okay. That's the same way Paul is saying you can exercise yourself in the direction of godliness. All right. Now, verse eight says, For bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. Meaning, of course, um, bodily exercise. So, when you go to the gym, when you walk out, when you jog around your estates, when you do whatever you do, right? Physical exercise, 
it, it profits a little. He says, however, godliness <clears throat> is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. I, I need to explain this. What Paul is saying is that when you exercise yourself to godly, unto godliness, meaning the spiritual exercises that we participate in, it is not only profitable for this age that we are in, but it is also profitable even in the age to come. What that means is that the times you spend fasting and praying has profit in this life and the implications extend even to the age to come, meaning when, when, we, when we come into the reign of Christ, when we go to heaven and, you know, the life after, after earth, it has implication. What that means is that your state of spiritual maturity would also be sustained when you go to heaven, meaning the way you are spiritual, I mean, your level of spiritual maturity here on earth would also follow you even to heaven. God wouldn't just say that, oh, because we've gone to heaven, that means let's give everybody equal spiritual maturity. No, it is not going to be that way. In fact, when you read the book of Luke and the story that um, Jesus Christ shared about Lazarus and the rich man, it explains so that when, the, 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 when Lazarus died, right, he went to Abraham's bosom. Meaning there's such a place called Abraham's bosom that Abraham, because of his work with God, because of how, because of how his relationship with God was on earth, he was able to secure a place even in heaven that was named after him. It's almost like, I mean, I'm not saying this exactly how it is, but just as an analogy, it's almost like, like someone who, was, who is very influential, right? Up to the point that a whole, a whole street was named after him. You know, you know that that person is not just, is not just a, a regular landlord, but the person has, has become so influential. The same way Abraham was, that his work with God was so, was so pivotal to our history, such that even the book of Galatians, the Bible says that Jesus Christ, right, is the seed of Abraham, and it's through Jesus Christ that we can access the blessing of Abraham. That's how mighty Abraham's work with God was, that he had a place referred to as Abraham's, Abraham's bosom, all right? Meaning that your work with God on earth, your spiritual exercise, all the times you spend praying, fasting, uh, meditating on God's word and everything, it has an impact, not just in this life, but even in the age to come. And this is so powerful so that you don't think that our spiritual exercise only ends on earth. No, 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 no. In fact, when you read the Bible, you see that um, the parable of the talents, the Bible says, you know, um, the one that one was giving one, one was giving five, one was giving ten, and then the ones that multiply their talent, the reward for multiplication of their talent, the Bible says that the master said to them, come and be in charge of 10 cities. It is a, a spiritual representation of what will happen um, for us after, 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 um, after we go to heaven, after this, our, after this dispensation, after this work on earth. You know, what will happen is that when you, with your effectiveness, with the things that God has given to you, God will place you as an authority and he will place you in a, in an, um, for lack of a better word, in an administrative position, even in the age to come. And it is super important we recognize this, that our spiritual maturity doesn't just end on earth. We're not just being spiritually mature so that we can get direction in life and clarity in life alone. No, no, no. Our spiritual maturity extends even beyond that. And this is what Paul was saying. In verse 8, he says, For bodily exercise profited little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. He says, Having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. 
So as you exercise yourself in, in godliness, exercise yourself in spiritual things, the impact extends even to the in, to the age to come, extends to to um to life after after earth. All right. So I wanted to start off with that scripture. So um again, remember it is exercise. It is called exercise for a reason. It is not called um it is not called um, vacation, you know. It didn't say your spiritual vacation. Mm -mm. It says spiritual exercise. What that means is that it would not be pleasant for the most part to our flesh. It would not be pleasant to our bodies. It would not be pleasant to the natural way of, of, of doing things on earth. It won't, be, it won't be the common way of doing things. I mean, for those of you that go to the gym, and for the record, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, get my exercise straight. Okay, but for those of you that go to the gym, you know that, Almost every time you want to go to the gym, it's 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 like your body talks at you. And just imagine you you you're going to the gym and on your way to to the gym, you pass an ice cream store or you pass I mean where they sell pizza or where they sell shawarma, and your 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 stomach is yearning for that. But you know that you need to go to the gym to keep fit. You need to go to the gym to exercise. And if you are training, for instance, for a particular um, sport, then the, the the demand on you is even higher. Because you need to exercise and to, to be in shape so that you can meet up the expectation. It is the same way that God expects us to exercise ourselves so that we can meet up the expectation of the hope that he has called us in glory. Praise God. All right. Let me make a detour and just read one verse of scripture. Um, it's not in my notes, but I think I just want to read it here and, and join two things together. Um, Ephesians chapter 1 verse... Verse 17, funny enough, we read it in prayer meeting we had um, just some hours ago. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 um, and 18. Let me read quickly. <clears throat> it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He says the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. This is where I'm going to. So God is saying that, um, Paul was praying that their eyes will be enlightened so that they'll know the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of, the glory of his inheritance in the saints. My emphasis is that they know the hope of his calling, meaning God has a hope that he has called us into, okay? And it is the same thing with predestination. There are things that God has already predestined for us to accomplish on earth. However, the only way we'll be able to accomplish those things and enter into the fullness of those things is when we exercise ourselves so that we can be fit for that manifestation, all right? It's almost like someone saying that, um, you know, it's almost like a, a, a coach saying, I want you, you as, a, as a player, for instance, on a, on a soccer team, he says, I want you to be the best player in my team. I have reserved that spot for you. And the, the, the player says, oh, great. Why not just give me the award? The coach says, no, I can't give you the award. I want you now to exercise yourself so that you can be trained and fit as the best player. So the things that God has prepared for us, they are great and wonderful. In fact, um, 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 this is Ephesians 1 verse 3 that says, God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So God has blessed us indeed. And you know, our exercise is not going to make God to bless us, all right? But our exercise will get us fit to handle the blessings that God has already given to us. So, for instance, God has maybe spoken to someone and said, "Oh, I've I've called you to become a a a what was it a financial you know sponsor for the kingdom of God." That is great. But God will have to train you 
so that you can fit into that role. So spiritual exercise is super important for us to enter into the inheritance that God already has prepared for us. Okay, let's read Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. Tom, should please read for us um, as we continue. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. Anyone there? Anyone, anyone wants to help us? Hebrews chapter 5, yeah. verse 14. All right. Hebrews 5, 14. Says, but strong meets longer than the of full age, even those who by reason you have their senses attached to discern both good and evil. Praise God. Um, thanks so much, uh, Messi. So it says strong meat, right, belongs to those who are full of age. When it says full of age, that is a term referring to maturity. All right, so strong meat belongs to the mature. What this means is that there's, uh, and again, please, I really want you to get this. There are certain things God cannot give you, not because he doesn't like you, but just because you are not yet mature. And there are certain things he will not give you to handle even though it is yours. I mean, for instance, if you have a child who is 10 years old and let's say for his 10th birthday, you buy him a car. And that is wonderful. You, I mean, you have the money, you buy him a brand new car, probably the latest Range Rover that just came out, 2021 edition, all right? You buy him a car, no matter how much you love him, you are not going to give him the keys of that car to drive. You are going to wait until he's mature enough to drive. Not because you don't like him, also not because it, the car does not belong to him, but just because he's not yet mature. It is the same thing too. There are, there are things God wants to give us to handle, but he cannot give us yet because, not because he doesn't love us, but because we are not yet mature. In fact, it is because of his love that he would not give us. Do you get that? So Paul here was saying, I'm um, sorry, the writer of Hebrews was saying that strong meat belongs to those who are full of age, meaning to those who are mature. And he says, who are those people that are full of age? Or how did they become full of age? How did they become mature? You know, in the physical, um, I mean, all we just need is for time to pass, for your years to add, all right? Whether you, you do anything on your own or not, your years, you'll be one year older by next year than you are today. Whether you, if you decide to sleep from now till next year, you'll still be one year older. If you decide not to work, not to do anything, you'll still be one year older. But it is not the same spiritually. So Paul, um, again, writer of Hebrews was trying to explain to us how these people became full of age, how these people became mature. So he goes on to say, even those who, by reason of use, have exercised their senses to discern both good and evil. So the way they were able to become mature was through exercise. They exercised their senses. It's just like your muscle. If you do not exercise your muscle, it will not grow. And that is the way spiritual things are. If you do not excite yourself, you will never grow. Meaning your spiritual growth is determined by the extent of your spiritual exercise. And please write this down if you can. Your spiritual growth is determined by the extent of your spiritual exercise. So if you want to see someone that, if you, if for instance, if you look at someone that within one year, the person just grew spiritually, go and check the person's life. It's not by laying on of hands. It's not by, by impartation, no. It is that the person gave him, himself or herself to spiritual exercise within that one year. 
And the more you exercise yourself, the more you grow spiritually. All right? And that's why you can see someone who has been, who has been a believer for 10 years, but is still a baby in Christ. And you see someone that has just been a believer for two years, and the person is already mature in Christ. What is the difference? The difference is that one person exercised himself spiritually, and the other person did not exercise himself. So spiritual exercise is what determines our spiritual growth. It is not an impartation. My, if, you, if your father is a pastor or a bishop, for instance, it does not guarantee that you automatically be, you be spiritually mature. You now have to exercise yourself in that line. Praise God. All right. So we want to, today's topic again, like I said, is spiritual exercise. And I, I want to drill down to, to, the, to the practices that help us to mature spiritually, to the exercises, the practical exercises that help us mature spiritually. All right. But before I go, I drill down to what I wrote. In fact, we might only be able to look at one with the time we have left. But before I drill down into that, I want to ask us now, you know, as we always do, time for discussion. What are the practices that help us grow spiritually? And not, not just, don't be quick to mention, but also tell us how they help us grow. All right. So this is for us to discuss right now. So the floor is open, please. What are the practices? What are some practices that help us grow spiritually? And then you can tell us how they help, how they help us grow. I mean, you can tell us from your personal experience as well, you know, just to help us understand um, the points. So please, the floor is open. Anyone can go ahead to share what are the practices that help us grow spiritually. Anyone wants to share, either from your personal experience or not, but you know, things that help us grow spiritually. The floor is open. Um, anyone wants to go first? Okay, I am tempted to call someone. Um, Messi Peters, do you want to help us? What are some of the practices? I'll just mention one practice that you think help us grow spiritually and also let us know how it helps us grow. Okay. Um, okay, I would say prayer. Okay. Prayer is one of the spiritual exercises that helps us grow spiritually because the more you remain in the place of prayer or the more consistent you are with your prayer life, you grow spiritually. And I... You know, prayer also goes with the word of um, are you there? When get into that place also yeah. Okay, go ahead. So we lost Yeah. Okay, so I was saying like when you the times you have to pray, like the third time you like not those short prayers or like maybe when you have like specific times where you have your prayer time. You definitely mm -hmm. need to pray with the word of God, like with scriptures. So like personally, I'm speaking from experience that's helped me because when I have to pray, I, I also have to study my Bible because I have to like yeah. pray scriptural prayers. So prayer is a spiritual exercise that helps you grow. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for that. Thanks so much for that, Messi. All right. Uh -huh. Someone else wants to help us. What other exercise helps us grow spiritually? Okay, um, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Okay, I want to say one example is joining spiritual, um, joining Christian communities 
or fellowships like this one because when you when you fellowship with other brethren, other brothers and sisters in Christ, you like the um, kind of programs they do and everything will help you to study the word more, pray more, and do um, godly things more. Mm-hmm. So having a community that um, of believers, right, that you belong to, that's awesome. Thank you so much to me. One more person. Um, what exercises help us grow spiritually? Someone coming to our rescue? What practices help you grow spiritually? Praise God. Hallelujah. I want to give a practical life example. One of the things that really helped me grow spiritually was staying among bread. I hope I'm not repeating anybody's point. But when I was in my year one in the university, in my um, second semester, my sister took me to one prayer group then. in When I got to school, that's, 2000, that's year one, 2009, yeah. there, was, there was this um, high level of courses in there. And there was this fake news that our set came with bad whatever. So me, I mm-hmm. wanted to just no more to find myself in the realm of the street. And then, um, so my sister um, introduced me to one prayer group. Uh-uh. They pray, pray, I finish the prayer around 3, 3 a.m. in the morning. Let me tell you, tomorrow, if, if I say I backslide, I will not go beyond that level which I attained in the university. That's because mm. I was them and they, they were praying and praying the word and also belonged to the fellowship so that that that, that fire mm. i got it from other brethren and so that really helped my spirituality very very well very very well fellowship mm. with other believers so those who are even more deep the... yeah thank you thank you so much for that so it's um, just like the saying goes um, like the Bible says, actually, um, iron sharpens iron. So the more you fellowship with other believers, the sharper you become. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, someone put in the gossip group. Um, Ebenezer puts here says, going for conferences, reading my Bible, listening to messages. Awesome. All right. So thank you everyone for sharing um, your experiences and also your mm-hmm. your lessons on spiritual growth. All right, so we want to, now Now this is very helpful. And there's something I, 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 I learned from all we said, and is the fact that um, spiritual growth doesn't happen from what the last two people spoke. It doesn't happen in isolation, right? That you don't just grow alone. And that is also super, super important. All right, I don't think we're able to reach that point today, but it's worthy of note. All right, so what I want us to look at one one important aspects right before our time is up and that's probably all we need to look at today as a spiritual exercise and um the general general theme for it is or general um term for it is waiting on god right or seeking the face of god waiting on god or seeking the face of god now before you we jump into conclusion as to what it means let us explore it together so i know when most of us here waiting on god the first thing that comes to our mind is prayer right or fasting, actually, or when we say seeking the face of God, what comes to our mind first is 
um, fasting or praying, which is correct. But I want us to break down that concept and see where it's where fasting and prayer actually comes in. Okay, so let's read Isaiah chapter 40, a very popular verse of scripture. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 24, verse 27, I beg your pardon, to 31. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27 to 31. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27 to 31. You can read if you are there, please. All right. Okay, so let me read. Okay, no, no, go ahead, please go ahead and read here. Okay, Isaiah chapter 40. Yes. From verse 27 to 29. 231. Jacob, 231. Yes. Verse 27. Jacob, why do you say, and Israel, why do you, why do you assert? My way is hidden from the Lord. And my claim is ignored by the God, by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never grows faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the weary and strengthens the powerless. Youths may faint, youths may faint and grow weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Praise God. Thank you very much, Dan, for helping us with that um, scripture. Um, I mean, there's a lot here, but I want to point out some things. So he says, verse 29, that one of the, one of the qualities of God and one of the things that God does is that he increases the strength of those who do not have might. So he increases strength, all right? And then verse 30 says, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew strength. You know, one of the reasons why people go to, why, why people gym, you know, especially those who are into muscle building, is so that they can strengthen their muscles, right? Um, for whatever reasons, either to be able to lift more weight, or if you are a boxer or a wrestler, so that you, you are more firm and you are more, you are stronger, okay? That's one of the reasons why they exercise. What that tells us is that, Exercise is a way of increasing our strength, increasing our muscular strength. Now, the Bible says that when it comes to spiritual um, things, the way we increase the strength, in the physical, people go to the gym and exercise to increase their strength. But how we increase our own strength, the Bible says here, is by waiting on God. So what exercise is to our muscles physically is what waiting on God is to our spiritual muscles. So when we wait on God, our spiritual muscles become stronger. We're able to lift, <clears throat> we're able to lift more weights. We're able to um, carry more things. We're able to handle things that are weightier, that are heavier, because we wait on God, all right? Now, that, that tells us that waiting on God is a spiritual exercise that increases our strength. That's what I wanted to point out. Now, the question now is, is, is then what is waiting on God, all right? So I tried to coin a, just a description that would, Help us, help, our, help us understand the concept of waiting on God. And I said here that to wait on God is to set our hearts in expectation to receive from him. Now, what we are receiving could be instructions, clarity, or direction, or whatever it is. But it is, it is to wait on God is to set our hearts in expectation to receive 
from him. Primarily speaking, that is what waiting on God is. And a very good analogy that we might have heard several times, but it's it's worthy of re- repetition, is um, when you go to a restaurant. If you go to if you go to a fast food restaurant, you might not see the effects, right? But you go to a proper restaurant, right? Not a fast food, like a proper restaurant. And then there's there are people, there are waiters who wait on you. That's when you come in, you are seated, they come to you and ask you, what do you want? When you place your order, they stand not too far apart, you know, not too far away, rather. They stand close by so that just in case you need anything extra, you can beckon on them and they'll tell you what you uh, you tell them what you want and they supply it. Those waiters, right, are waiting on you for instructions, waiting on you for whatever you would want, waiting on you for directions. That is literally what waiting on God means. That is where we set our heart in a disposition to receive instructions or whatever it is that God is ready to um, release to us. That is the that is primarily what waiting on God is. Now, by definition, by definition, waiting on God begins with the heart. I will see explore this um, later on, right? But I just need to state this out. That waiting on God begins with, with the heart. That it's, yes, there are actions that would, would give expression to the disposition of our heart, but primarily waiting on God begins with the heart, all right? So I said here that in, the, in this practice, we suspend our plans and actions to receive his own. Meaning that even though, for instance, in that restaurant, the, pers- the, the waiter has, maybe he wants to, he, he probably, there probably is a match um, playing, maybe the, um, whatever World Cup, whatever is playing. And the, the man is a, the, the waiter, for instance, is, is a Chelsea fan and there's, there's Champions League finals going on. Even though he wants to go and watch that match, but because he has to wait on you, he will suspend his own actions and his own, his own intentions just so that he can wait on you. It is the same thing we do with God as well. When we come to wait on God, we suspend our own ideas, we suspend our own um, our own emotions, we suspend our own natural inclinations, our own preferences. We suspend those ones so that we can receive from God. Okay? And um, we'll see where, how fasting and prayer praying comes in. But this is super, super important. And the more you wait on God in this way, the more mature you become. The more you suspend your, your own actions, right, to receive God's actions, the more mature you actually will become. And you see, one of the things that really, really separates mature believers from immature believers, right, is the fact that mature believers know how to stay put and just wait. Until God speaks, they will not move. Until God gives a go-ahead, they will not give a go-ahead. You know, I, I was listening to a, a man of God, right, um, some months ago, I believe, he was speaking, he was talking about the building project that they were to start, they were supposed to start, say, four years ago or, or five years ago, if I'm correct. But they didn't start it. They had all the funds. They had even made the announcement that we're going to start this building project. But when he went back to God, God didn't answer him. He went to pray severally. God didn't answer him. It got to a point where God said, don't even discuss this matter with me. Don't bring up this matter again. And they had all the money ready. They had everything ready. They, he, all he was waiting for was just a go-ahead from God. But God didn't give him a go-ahead. And for five years, if I'm correct now, for five years thereabouts, he didn't begin the building project until one day God now spoke to him about it and then they, they started it. That is spiritual maturity, where you are able to wait on God 
until God gives a go ahead. You might have the money, you might have the funds, you might have the connections, you might have, have everything, but you are waiting until God gives a go ahead. You are waiting for God's perspective. This is a very, very spiritual, very, very deep spiritual exercise that would make you mature. And I encourage you to start from even the little things, right? Wait till you hear from God. When you want to make decisions, wait until God gives an impression in your heart, all right, before you go ahead. Okay, so here I said that the flesh would naturally want to do, do things his its own way, right? Based that's based on our own intelligence and deductions and logic. However, we must learn to submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So your flesh, for instance, will want to do things your, your own way. You know, um, there are times where you you just see, come into getting situations and your your logic, your intelligence just tells you, ah, why not just this is a logical situation, a logical de um, decision to make. For instance, you want to take a job, right? You have two offers, and one offer obviously is paying way better than the other one. Your the logical thing for your for your senses to 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 do is to take the job of the one that pays more. But when you now go to God in prayer, you wait on Him until He tells you. Yes, he might tell you to take that one that pays more, but also he might tell you to take the other one that doesn't pay more, right? And as you exercise yourself in waiting, you become more mature. And many times you don't know, you don't see the impact of your obedience immediately until, you know, maybe years later, you God now shows you why he wanted you to take that job and, you know, you just begin to see it. So again, your flesh wouldn't want it. And this is very important. Your flesh wouldn't want it. Your flesh wouldn't want to wait until you marry till you have sex. Your flesh wouldn't want to wait until you gradually build your wealth. Your flesh would just want quick money. If you can make 10 million in the next one week, ah, your flesh will want it. But God will take you through a process, all right? So your flesh wouldn't want this discipline, but you have to um, wait on God, all right? You need, to, you need to wait on God until you receive directions from him. Okay, so it is, it is anti-flesh. Let me put it that way. Now. Waiting on God, if you look at the Hebrew word for waiting on God, right, won't no, no need bothering about the word, but I just want to point something about, about the, the Hebrew word waiting on God. It, it implies two things. Waiting on God implies two things. One, it implies fellowship. In fact, the Hebrew word implies being, being intertwined, being, being bind, uh, what's called now, bounded, bound together. You know, when you twist a when you take two, um, let's say, take two strands of thread or rope or wire or something, and you twist them together, right? That's what the Hebrew, one of the Hebrew words mean for it. That's, that's intertwining, right? That's what it means. And what that connotes is fellowship. You know, the Bible says that he that is joined with Christ is one spirit. So part of waiting on God involves fellowship. So when I say we wait on God, I'm not just saying you are idly waiting for God without being with God, right? You are actively waiting on God in fellowship with God. So the first uh, meaning of the word waiting um, connotes fellowship, okay? The second, um, the second word there connotes expectation, meaning that you are expecting, you know, it, it's, if for instance, I, I don't know how many of your parents, how many of you when you're growing up, your parents, your parents gave you had a lot of non-verbal cues, especially when they're visitors. You know, when we're in the, or let's say we go to visit a family, right? We, when they bring food, for instance, you know that if you're a typical African child like I am, 
you know that you cannot just go and start dipping your hand in and eating the food. Ah, you can't do that. You have to wait for your parents to signal you whether you can eat the food or not. And they will talk. They will give you an, a look with their eyes or they'll give you a signal or something, a body movement, and you understand what they are saying. That gesture, right? You, the reason why you can take note of it is because you are expecting a response from them. For, for instance, in my, in my instance, right, my example, they, they probably serve the food and because you are expecting a response from your parents, there's a way you look at your parents with the, with the corner of your eye. You are hoping they say something or they do, rather they, they give a gesture that gives you permission to indulge in the food. Now, that is expectation. If somebody wasn't expecting to receive signals, he, even when the signal is given, the person might miss it, okay? So that, that expectation also is what connotes waiting, meaning you set your heart expecting to receive something from God, expecting to hear from God, expecting to get clarity, expecting to get, get direction, expecting to get instructions, whatever it is, you, are, you set your heart to receive from God. So don't forget these two, two things, fellowship and expectation, all right? And your expectation is in fellowship, meaning that someone, I can't say I'm waiting, waiting, waiting on God and then I'm not in fellowship with God. I'm just hoping that one day God will just appear and tell me what to do. No, I, I, I show my expectation in the place of fellowship with God. And it is because of expectation that patience now comes in because you, know, you need to understand that God is a king. God is a king spirit. You cannot force God to speak. You cannot, you, 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 cannot, you cannot maneuver God to speak. No, 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 no. Your fasting and prayer itself will not even, will not compel God to speak. I don't know if you have ever fasted and at the end of your fasting, God didn't still speak to you. It has happened to me several times that I fasted for days and at the end of the fasting, God didn't speak. It was maybe a week after I finished my fasting, then God eventually now spoke. That shows you that God is a king. You cannot manipulate him to speak. Your prayer, your fasting cannot compel God to speak by force. No, God will still determine when to speak. However, you must stay in fellowship so that when God speaks, you are attentive enough to listen. All right? And um, that's why I said patience is required. So again, let me, let me state here that the soul is naturally hasty. That the soul of man is naturally hasty. The soul of man wants everything sharp, sharp. Now, 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 now. That's why we have fast food restaurants. We have microwaves. We have all the things that helps us do things quick. Our computers keep getting faster and faster by the, by the generations. The soul of man naturally wants things hasty. But when you come to deal with God, you cannot hurry God. Let me say this again, though. You cannot hurry God. In fact, if God himself subjected his, his dealings to time, right? Meaning, for instance, that somebody is praying, oh, God, give me a child, give me a child. And God says, I answer you now. And that answer will only manifest in nine months. God will not, will not, will not turn the, the clock of time and make sure the person gives birth in one week. No. God will still wait for nine months for that baby to come. If Jesus Christ himself had to be in Mary's stomach for nine months, as urgent as the mission of salvation was, then you cannot hurry God. All right? So I just want you to know that as much as a human soul is hasty, but God will still demand us to be patient. And that is an exercise that the, the, the exercise of waiting on God, especially, especially when you can, when you have the options of doing it in your own capacity. For instance, you want to maybe buy a house, but God hasn't told you where the house to buy is. Maybe he has told you, yes, I'm going to give you a house. And maybe you have all the money to buy the house, 
but God hasn't given you an instruction as to what area to, to buy the house. And then all the agents are coming with their fancy, juicy offers, and, and you have the money to pay cash, but God hasn't answered. You need to discipline yourself to wait until God gives you a response. That is maturity. That exercise of waiting on God will make you mature. And when you, when you master the act of waiting, to, waiting on God, it will apply not just in that particular scenario, but, but the impact will be all across your life. All right? Okay, so let's continue. Um, quickly, I want us to look at two examples of people. Um, one waited on God, one practiced waiting on God, receiving from God, and the other was hasty in his soul. Okay? So we're going to look at the two examples. We're looking at David and Saul. All right, so I want to look at the example of David versus Saul. And you'll see that when, when God called David a man after my own heart, it wasn't, it wasn't just by, it wasn't by chance. David did things that, that showed God that he was after God's heart, right? So I just want to look at, want us to look at a um, few examples. First, let's investigate the life of David. First Samuel chapter 23, verse 1 to 5. First Samuel chapter 23. Verse 1 to 5. Someone should please read for us if you are there. First Samuel. Samuel is in the Old Testament. First Samuel chapter 23, verse 1 to 5. Please read if you are there. Anyone there? First Samuel chapter 23, verse 1 to 5. Go ahead. Then they told David. Behold, the Philistines bring the threshing cloth of the grain. I go and attack these Philistines. And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Kayla. But David's men said to him, Listen, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Kayla against the battlelands of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again. And the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Kayla, for I will hand over the Philistines to you. So David and his men went to Kayla and fought the Philistines slaughter. So David rescued the inhabitants of Kayla. Thank you. Thank you very much. So this is a very short story of, of David's experience, right? Mm -hmm. and at this point, he was running from Saul and, and all of that. But the Bible says that um, what came to David that, oh, the Philistines have attacked, you know, a particular place called Kayla. And the first thing David did was that he went to inquire of the Lord. Now, mind you, David was skillful. And this is where, again, real maturity comes in. And like I said, let me repeat again. When you have the capacity to do something, but you still wait on God's direction, before you go ahead to do it. It's almost like saying you have the money, again, like the example, like if you have the money to buy a house or buy something, or you have the connections to get a job in a particular company, but God, but you decide to wait on God until he gives a direction, until he gives you permission, until he gives you a go ahead. That is spiritual maturity. And that's what exactly what David did. He had the men, he had the men to, to fight. He had the power to, he had the skill. He was a skillful warrior. But the Bible says that he waited on God. And even when, his men brought about a question and said, ah, then look at the Philistines. Um, um, verse, verse 3 says, how much more, behold, we are, we are afraid here with Judah. Now says, how much more 
then if we come to kill against the armies of the Philistines, that means they brought up a, a, a question that of doubt, you know, and then they said, well, if we are safe here, then what is going to happen? If, if here in Judah, we're afraid rather, in our own land, then how much more the place we are going to, what's going to happen? And David's response to a situation of doubt was to seek the face of the Lord. And this is what, what I want to encourage us to do. Every time you face a situation, just seek the face of God. As simple as asking God, Lord, what do I do? Lord, why? Lord, what do I do? Those questions prompt conversations with God. And those conversations with God bring revelation that stirs, up, stirs us up to spiritual growth. Okay? So this was David's pattern. David inquired of the Lord. Let's run quickly. First, the same first Samuel chapter 30, verse chapter 30. I'll just read quickly verse 1 to verse 8. First Samuel chapter 30, verse 1 to 8. It says, And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded, invaded the south and Ziglag and smitten Ziglag and burned it with fire. And had taken the women captives, and that tried taking the women captives that were therein, they slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. Verse 3. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. So this was a devastating situation. Verse um, 4. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until there was no more power to weep. So these were soldiers, right, that wept until there was no more power. Imagine, imagine the people that, uh, the, I mean, imagine military people, army people that were supposed to fight Boko Haram. You see them crying until they don't have strength again. That's what was happening here. Verse 5, and David's two wives were taken captives. Um, and then skip to verse 6. Verse 6 says, and David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him. So there was pressure on David. And this is what I, one of the things I want you to well, we'll, we'll compare David and Saul when we read the story of Saul. There was pressure on David. The people wanted to stone David. He was their leader, all right? He said to them, um, 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 everything was, first of all, they lost so much. They were thinking of stoning him. David was greatly distressed. But what was David's response to pressure and distress? The Bible says, um, okay, let me finish verse 6. They were greatly distressed, um, but who spoke of stoning him because of the soul, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughter. And it says, But David encouraged himself in the Lord. Verse 7 And David said to Abiathar the priest and Ahimelech, and he says, Bring me the effort. Let me skip to verse 8. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and pursue these people? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake and without fail recover all. So David's response to pressure. David's response to distress was that he inquired of the Lord. He first waited on God and sought the face of the Lord, all right? And then God answered him and said, go ahead. And this is super important that when you are under pressure, what do we do? When there is, quote, unquote, a tight deadline and we need to make a quick decision, what is our response? When we are under the pressure of people, either people that we lead or people that we love or people that, you know, are around us, when there's pressure from people, what is our response? the right response is to wait on God, is to wait. That, that is maturity. And what that means is that you value the opinion of God over and above the pressure of people, all right? There are thought of Tony David, and think about this. The most natural thing for David to have done was to probably just stand up out of, um, out of, 
anger, you know, out of out of distress and says and say, let's go and, and get our, our family back. But no, David first waited on God. He inquired of the Lord. And that is the pattern that we should follow. All right. So last scripture, hmm, we may not be able to read all of it, but let me just skip some verses. Second Samuel chapter five. We would not be able to read all these, um, all the verses in this. It's a long, long reading. We're going to read Second Samuel chapter five, verse eighteen to twenty-five, but we can't do that right away. Um, but what I just want to show you, right? Again, this was a scenario that David inquired of the Lord. The first time David inquired of the Lord, right? He God told them, this is verse. Verse 19, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up to the Philistines? Will you deliver them to me? And David said, sorry, God said to David, go up, I'll deliver them to you. And then that happened, right? Then the same, the same Philistines came to attack David. Somebody would have expected and said, ah, if the first time you went up and you defeated the Philistines, just go again to happen now. But no, there is no, there is no familiarity in the ways of God. You always have to wait on God and let God give you clear direction. And that's what David showed us. And look at verse 23 again. It says, and David inquired of the Lord. He says, will I go? And then God says, go. However, this time around, God gave an instruction. He says, wait until you see the shaking of the mulberry tree. Then you advance in this way and you go in that way. So David waited on the Lord. And all these verses I read is just to show us the pattern of David's life. And what really gave him victory was that he waited on the Lord. Again, your flesh would not want this, especially when you have the capacity to, you know, it is easy for easy for someone who doesn't have food to fast because, I mean, there's no other option now. But when somebody has his, his food stocked with, with everything you can think of, you have everything stocked, your kitchen stocked, there's all, all manners of options, and then you now have to fast, then that is a real proof that you, are, you, you really mean business. So it's the same way too. When you have the capacity to just execute, but you decide to wait on God, then we'll know that indeed you actually mean business, all right? So the next example I want to look at is Saul quickly. But please give me a minute, let me get my charger. My battery is running low. Just give me one second. My charger is just right at the back. Unmute, please. Your mic, Victor, you can't. Oh, okay. Can you unmute? I can't hear you. Please unmute your mic. Please unmute your mic. Okay, thank you. Can you hear me now? Can you guys hear me? Yes, sir. Okay, okay, thank you. Well, we too. So I have to get my charger. Um, my battery was running low, very low. Okay, so we'll, go, we'll look at the case of Saul. I will just read two scriptures to show us the, you know, Saul's, um, Saul's disposition and the way Saul went about things and how it differs from, 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 from David. Okay, so I see your messages. Yes, you can hear me. Thank you. All right, so first Samuel, let's look at first Samuel chapter 13. 
The book of First Samuel chapter 13, verse 8. First Samuel chapter 13, verse 8. All right, so I'm going to read it quickly. It says, and he tarried seven days. So this is talking about um, talking about Saul, right? So he says, Saul tarried seven days according to the time set. of <clears throat> Samuel showed up. So Samuel said in verse 11, what has thou done? And Saul said, behold, I saw that the people scattered from me. Look at what Saul's reason was. He says, I saw that the people scattered from me and that thou camest not within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Meaning that what motivated Saul to go and sacrifice was not because he was under any form of inspiration or, or because he, had, he was in the rightful position to do that, but simply because he saw the people scattering from him. In other words, as a leader, he saw that people were almost leaving, it was like people were leaving him. And he, he felt secure that his followers were leaving him. And so he had to do, do something, you know, just take an action that would, make, that would show that he's in charge. And that pressure from the opinions of people was what led him to sacrifice. Meanwhile, we see the case of, of David that even though there was pressure from his people, his response was like, He went to seek the face of God. But for sake, let me get remember what when have
Okay, sorry. Um, I lost us for a second. Hope you can hear us now. I'll just wrap, wrap up quickly. Hope you can hear me now, rather. All right, so um, in a minute, you might be seeing me in a in a non-rotated, non-rotated mode. All right, I guess this works. Okay, so first summer chapter 15, that's where we are. And um, verse, verse 20, this is what Saul says. He says, and Saul said unto Samuel, yes, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way the Lord sent me. And I, I, but I brought back the king of, I brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, but I destroyed the rest of the Amalekites. Verse 21. But he, this is what Saul said. He says, but the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the sheep of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And then Samuel went on to say that does the Lord have um, delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying his voice and all and on. But what I want to point out is in verse 21 that Saul took the sheep and cattle and everything. But when Samuel came and asked Saul that what is this I'm hearing? If you destroyed everything, why is it that I can still hear the bleating of, of, of sheep and cattle? And Saul said, no, it's not me. That is the people that took it. So Paul began to point again, that same, that same um, idea of, of putting responsibility on people or blaming it on people or, or listening to people, right? Paul, Paul began to say, no, it's the people that made me do this and made me do that. And look at verse 24. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Meaning I had regard to the people and listened to their voice rather than the voice of God. And this is what really differentiated David from Saul. That David, instead of succumbing to the pressure of the people, David went to inquire of the Lord. But Saul, instead of inquiring of the Lord or following the directions of the Lord, Saul succumbed to the pressure of the people and, you know, listened to it. And I, I brought this illustration um, and these two examples to show us how God, how our work with God should progress and what you know, what the opposite, opposite of, of it is. And just like David, we ought to inquire of the Lord. We ought to wait on the Lord. It is an exercise I keep saying is that your flesh would not want it naturally, but you need to train your spirit to wait on the Lord and receive from him. Praise Jesus. All right, so we're going to continue from here next week. We have to stop now. We're going to continue from here next week. Um, I will take only two questions or contributions you know, um, from today's Bible study. So please go ahead. Questions, if you have any, or you can just share with us what you learned today if you don't have a question. But I'll just take two people and we will close. So please go ahead. Questions <clears throat> or contributions or, you know, what you learned today. Okay. Can I take today? Yes, please go ahead. Your voice is low. Um, we're not hearing clearly. Okay, I wanted to go to, you, um, is it louder? Yeah, better, yeah. Oh, yes, so just to put a point on, on David and agree, even when David had to, there's a time David had to hurry to a battlefield that Joab had won, or Joab said, if I finish this last phase, the name mm. is you should come, hurry and come. I'm just saying that there are times that David was under some kind of pressure, you understand? But yes. there's discernment because of constant practice. Of, mm. of his senses to seek God. So 
even if even if you are uh, you are under some kind of pressure or some people need you to do certain things at a deadline as pertains some issues here yes. discernment because you have you have been practicing waiting on God and asking God that time that discernment to come and I mean maybe speak forth in my life that's how I've seen it in the times where yeah. they are pressure but because I've practiced the act of waiting on God on, on some things that discernment now comes into play and I'm yeah. able to discern those feeling and this thing. So I, I just want to say it's, it's an extra advantage for David that Saul didn't get to practice at the early time of his kingship, which if he had yeah. practiced, he have known the ways of God more than just his act. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. Thank you very much for that. So we need to practice this more and more. All right. One more person, either a question or um, what you've learned today. One more person. Anyone question or what you learned today? Um, uh, hello. Hi. All right. Okay. Today is my first time of joining this community live. And um, Yo, first of all, I've learned a lot about um, spiritual exercise, like why we need to practice praying consistently and also like studying the word. And there's something you said that I really love so much when it comes to waiting, when you said um, you could have the resources to do what you want to do, you could have the ability, but then you still wait. Mm-hmm. Hello? Yeah, but then you mm-hmm. still wait yeah, to yeah, hear can. God's directive concerning the matter so that has blessed me a lot today thank you very much Um, sorry guys. So this is my, my wife's phone I'm using. My battery apparently died. Thank God for your wife. And I got, I got cut off. Um, so yeah, we'll just conclude, I guess. But can you hear me in conclusion? Mm-hmm. Yes, we're okay. listening to you. 
Okay, thank you. Apologies again, everyone. Um, my battery eventually died, unfortunately. All right, so Edidion, um, I, I lost you while you were speaking. Um, I'm sure the rest said, I mean, others heard you, so that's fine. Um, Esther, your hand is up. Do you want to say something before we conclude? Okay, okay, hand is now down. All right, so let's conclude then with a word of prayer <clears throat> in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for um, this session with the Holy Still held. We are grateful. Holy Spirit, we ask that what we have learned today, you teach us and help us to put it into practice in the name of Jesus Christ. That when we meet next time, it will be a richer time of fellowship and experience in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right, before we go, two things. Um, if this is your first time joining us, please, we'd like to welcome you. Kindly let us know, um, just introduce yourself and let us know who invited you and where you're joining us from. I think, Edidion, I'll just nominate you to go ahead first. Oh. All right, hello. Okay, my name is Edidion, and um, I found you guys on Instagram. And I'm currently in Abuja at the minute. Okay, great. But do you, are you based there? Yeah, I moved in here from London not too long ago. So yes, I'm based in Abuja for now. Awesome, awesome. That's um, the link. Cecil, please do me a favor. Drop the link for the WhatsApp group in the chat so that everyone can join in. The link is bit.com ly forward slash obc group so we have a whatsapp group that helps us communicate you know um easily okay anyone else joining us today for the first time oh messy okay please go ahead tell us introduce yourself tell us where you're joining us from and who invited you or how you got to find us okay good evening everyone my name is yeah. messy peters you're welcome, yes, so, uh, Thank you. Um, I'm located in Ghana. I'm a Nigerian, but I stay in Ghana, school here. And awesome. then I saw you guys on Instagram. Oh, great. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us, Mercy. God bless you. We're welcome. You are welcome. Mm, thank you. Rather to our community. Please, all right, is there anyone else joining us today? Anyone else? Okay, no. All right, so we have a WhatsApp group. Um, I don't know, Cecil, please, the, the link in the group chat, um, help drop the link in the group chat. Um, so yeah, that's the link, bit.ly forward slash OBC group. So we have a group chat that helps us communicate better. Also, we have a um, our podcast, right? We have a podcast channel and a YouTube channel. So when you join, once you join the group chat, we will send all that information again um, to, the, to the group chat, all right? Um, yeah, so I guess that's it. Lastly, we're, we're continuing our studies next week. Please join us, same time, same link. And again, sincere apologies for all the hiccups. Well, that, that should be sorted out by next week, um, by the grace of God. So join us, same time, same link, and um, we'll have an amazing time.
Thank you. All right. God bless. Thank you. Have a wonderful day or night. Bye. God bless you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. God bless Bye. you. Thank you. Goodbye.